Hey everybody, this is Pej. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. I happened to be in this old-timer meeting once, and I was already angry that I was there, but I'd been there for so many days. And one, one day this guy started sharing. It was like one of these profound, really like humorous, but solution-based shares to the point where I felt like this guy's share was so captivating. It, it felt like his share just reached into my chest, gripped my heart without my consent. Mm. And I started busting out in laughter like I hadn't laughed since I was a little kid. And I was like, oh my God, like that was good. That was good. Is that what AA is about? Because if it is, sign me up. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today is December 10th, and we have a guest in the studio. Pej, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you on the show. It's great to be back. Thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. Today is December 10th, and we usually get the show started by having the guest read the Daily Reflection. Pej, would would you get us started? Sure. Today, the topic is carrying the message. Now, what about the rest of the 12th step? The wonderful energy it releases and the eager action by which it carries our message to the next suffering alcoholic and which finally translates the 12 steps into action upon all our affairs is the payoff, the magnificent reality of Alcoholics Anonymous. 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 109. To renounce the alcoholic world is not to abandon it, but to act upon principles. I have to come to love and cherish and to restore in others who will suffer the serenity I have come to know. When I'm truly committed to this purpose, it matters little what clothes I wear or how I make a living. My task is to carry the message and to lead by example, not design. Thanks for reading that. Pej, before we begin, what's your sobriety date? My sobriety date is June 16th, 2007. Okay, great. Well, I had to read this a couple of times. You know, the (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the second part, as we discussed before we began, uh, to renounce the alcoholic world is not to abandon it, but to act upon principles. That kind of threw me a little bit, but uh, I'm curious what came to mind for you as you read through today's reflection. Well, I think obviously I love the 12th step and there's three parts to it, but I definitely love carrying the message because because the message was carried to me. And I believe, I think that the whole thing about to renounce the alcoholic world is not to abandon it is to not turn our back on our past. Basically, there are still people out there that are hurting and for us to just come and get well and not continue to show others how we got well would be to renounce it, maybe? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But I definitely, I, I, I remember that the first time I ever really received the message of AA, even though I had been sitting in rooms over the years on, a, on and off, you know, without really wanting to be there begrudgingly, I happened to be in this old timer meeting once and 
Um, I was already angry that I was there, but I'd been there for so many days and I'd already taken inventory on a lot of people's shares and how they would share. But one, one day this guy started sharing and it was, it was like one of these profound, really like humorous, but solution-based shares to the point where I felt like this guy's share was so captivating. It, it felt like his share just reached into my chest, gripped my heart without my consent. Mm. And I started busting out in laughter. Like I hadn't laughed since I was a little kid. And I was like, Oh my God, like, that was good. That was good. Is that what AA is about? Cause if it is, I'll sign me up. <laughs> do, you, do you still know that guy? No, I don't even know who he was. I, I, yeah. he, I don't even think he was a regular in that group. He just happened to be that day. Uh, man, he was, it was good. I don't even know what he was saying. Like, it was just really, it was good. It was, it really touched my heart. Yeah. You remembered the effect. Exactly. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Pej, I know your, your background and I know you do a lot of uh, work in recovery. Um, maybe for the audience sake, um, tell folks uh, who you are and what you do. Well, you know, I, I, um, <clears throat> I work in the, in the treatment industry. I work, I own some sober livings that are highly structured. I'm an interventionist. I often get called by families on a national basis to go help their loved ones, however they may be suffering, to try to convince that person that they need help. Some people would say that's being that's a paid 12-step call, but it's nothing of the sort. I don't go to somebody's house and say, let's get you help to get you to AA. I go to their house basically or on the streets or wherever they may be to get them the help that they need to to change their lives. And I can't think of a, a better way to carry the message than, than to actually get to do it all day, every day. Let's go back a little bit and talk to the listeners about what was going on in your life prior to finding recovery, finding a solution. I was uh, 35, almost 36 years old. I had pretty much lost anything tangible, anything physical. Uh, uh, I was living out of my house, probably out of my car. And I thought that that was, I thought I wasn't as bad of a homeless person as your typical homeless person that lives in a tent or on the street. I thought, I still have a car. This is like executive homeless. We're not quite there yet. I still take showers and community pools. Just hanging out with a lot of lower companions, people that were definitely not uh, the types of people that my mother had raised me to hang around. And I had kind of become a lower companion too, if not, not even kind of, I was like straight up. So um, couldn't hold a job, uh, had some health conditions, do, was doing certain types of substances that felt like my heart was going to jump out of my chest or my liver was going to shut down. So you know, I truly felt like I was going to have a heart attack. And this was my mid thirties. So, um, so after trying to dry out on, on a friend's couch and uh, kind of, well, my version of detox was to quit doing meth, heroin and cocaine, but I could still drink and smoke weed because those aren't so bad. At least. So I thought, but um, again, I, I, I Nothing was working, and and so I did what every so-called gangster does when they run out of options. I called my mommy, and I didn't know that mom was at that time uh, a brown belt in Al-Anon and armed with the facts of Al-Anon. So she wasn't having it. She she basically just uh, led me. She put me into the hands of a person who who then showed me a way to a recovery home, and and so that's that's kind of what led me to recovery uh, in my last couple like seven months before I got sober. I love that your mom had a hand in that somebody you love so dearly that they had a hand in helping you get sober. So then you, you go into a recovery home and how did you get plugged into AA? 
<laughs> it's interesting you asked that because I uh, the recovery home that I went to, see, I had met this man five years before that had a sober living home. He was this little Persian man. He looked like a Persian Yoda, right? I even sounded like him. And, and when I went to his house five years ago, I was fresh out of jail and I wanted nothing to do with the guy. And he, he even answered the door. He's like, hello, how are you doing? Welcome. This is sober living. We have rules. We have regulations. We have chores. We go to meetings. I, I looked at him five years before. I was like riveting. I'm not staying here. Didn't <laughs> want to have anything to do with, with any AA or meetings or things like that. Ended up uh, back in, at his front doorstep. That same man that my mom introduced, like put, gave me his number, led me to this house and I knocked on this door and it was the same guy from five years before. And I remember walking into his house and telling him, listen, in order for me to move into your house, there's two conditions. Let's just be clear. In, in other words, like <laughs> if you have the privilege of having me move into your house, right? One is I do not believe in God. So let's not, no talk of God. I don't want to talk about God ever. And he said, we, we don't talk about God too much. And I'm like, good, very good. I'm happy we're clear on that. Two is no AA meetings. I don't like going to AA. Are we clear? He said, well, we don't go to many meetings. And sure, I, I don't think that that man was working an honest program because we were in two meetings every single fucking day. <laughs> so you know i walked into my uh, in this sobriety which is the only sobriety i walked into this meeting on day two with uh, just a bunch of crusty old timers and i just thought oh my god this guy was full of it and i, I i'll never hang out with these guys and i remember seeing all these dudes and they were like an ocean of white hair and there was like a row of guys that were against the wall to me they looked like they were in their their last dying days but they called them the romeos of the group right and it turns out like those guys were the ones they were the glue that held the group together they were the elder statesmen that carried a strong message of aa i wasn't really hearing that like for the first few months but over a period of time when i was getting kind of more and more into aa and finding a sponsor and working steps like i realized like these guys are actually they're they're you know standing long-standing members of aa that that carry the message mm. so you're you're telling me that you got tricked into into sobriety Pretty much. I mean, I, I was in my mid thirties, so I kind of knew, you know, uh, that even though I might try to set conditions, uh, I knew what was going on. I mean, I'd been introduced and reintroduced to AA plenty of times to know this is probably working for people. Why do people keep coming to, to the, to these meetings? You sound kind of angry when you go in and, uh, kind of on your heels a bit, how long before you started to really hear something that resonated and, um, maybe turn the corner? on the program? Um, I think probably for me, um, it was like probably within the first two months, because we were, we're, we're out here on the West coast. So we were exposed. Like the guy that the guy whose house I went to, we didn't just go to one meeting a day. Like I said, we, he would take us to Persian meetings um, where they're speaking in Farsi. And I, I, my Farsi wasn't that good, but then we were like going on the weekends to the Pacific group. And we were introduced to the Bellflower big book group. And so, um, I think I'm like within two months, I was, I was pretty much sure. Like there's something, there's, there's a movement here. Like this is people are every room that we're going in are talking about the same stuff and they look like people that have transformed their lives and changed. And so like, I, I pretty much immediately fell in love with AA that, that, that one and only time. Yeah. Thank sure. God. Yeah. And in your course of work, you come across some folks that we're kind of like you early on. Is that, is that the case? All the time. Yeah. Almost daily. Yeah. I'm wondering how much value you find in, you know, the things that you did and the, the kind of mindset you had 
Have you have you placed a new kind of value on that in light of your current circumstances? I think everything happened for a reason. Everything I've done in the past uh, was supposed to happen. I don't regret the past. You know, I, uh, you know, I, I, I actually like it because it, it lets me know where I came from. It reminds me where I came from and where I don't want to go back to. I don't want to go back to active using and drinking. However, uh, everything that has happened in my past has defined me and, and, and shows me that, uh, that I, I can feel what the newcomer feels like. I can talk to, to a person who is, uh, that's struggling and, and share my, my past struggles with them. And, and that's, you know, that's that whole thing of one alcoholic talking to another. I mean, when Bill and Bob met, um, Bill was going to drink. He looked at that bar in the May, in the Mayflower hotel and he was contemplating, he was between it. And the second he, he thought I got to make that phone call, which then put him in the hands of Henry and Sieberling who, who brought them together. I went and sat in, in the two chairs. Well, maybe they changed the chairs, but the same room where uh, Bill and Bob were supposed to meet for 15 minutes, which turned into a five hour conversation. So whenever I'm in front of a newcomer, I I'm often thinking about, um, one alcoholic talking to another, if I was a normie, I don't think that I I would be able to get through to this person because sometimes alcoholics or addicts just, they they feel like this person doesn't get me. They've never been, they've never seen what I've seen, but I can sit there and tell them, listen, I can speak on depression. I can speak on trauma. I can speak on anxiety because I've had these. I can speak on suicidal ideation because I've had these and and I was drowning myself in alcohol and drugs and and um, I, I get it, but I want you to know there's hope so that I, I can get through to people a lot easier. And I, I believe the power of what the book describes about us being able to share our experience with somebody else and not telling them what they need to do, but what we did with ourselves in order to change is it, it's very powerful. It's very pertinent. It works. It truly, truly works. Yeah. And it enables you to, to really find value in, in some things that you probably thought were pretty horrible value and everything. You talked about not believing in God when you spoke with that Persian man at the recovery house. Mm -hmm. What's your, what's your current conception of a higher power and how does that work for you? It's it's an interesting question. My conception of a higher power is that a higher power in my life exists. I believe there is a a loving God. It's not a male or a female. It's, it's, it's a powerful, creative intelligence. I believe it's our our creator, not my creator. Um, it's it's grown. You know, my my concept and my belief has grown uh, in all situations. I I surrendered um, very early on in my recovery. I, I mean, I I decided not to use or drink before I even worked the steps. But when I got into my third step, uh, I I. I had to distinguish between my will and God's will and, and what, what it meant to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to God. Mm. Right. I needed to really, and, and that became a, a common practice uh, from through prayer. Uh, I didn't know how to meditate in the beginning because I had a lot of chatter going on in my head. So, but through prayer, uh, repetitive prayer every day, getting in a submissive pose or stance or beating on my knees and, and humbling myself to my my higher power, my God, uh, made it to where this this certain trust started to build within me and and God. And God wasn't outside of myself anymore. God was within, deep mm. down within. You know, there was this this sense of love and compassion, and 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 not a not a scolding uh, 
God that was angry, everything that many of us that come to AA were raised on in various religions and denominations. But I just, I, I trust that thing and I trust it with all my heart and soul. So my concept is that God is all loving, all encompassing and, and loves his children and allows us all to, to have experiences and carry messages, but also have messages carried to us that we can, that we can take on. And if we decide to, uh, change our lives based off of the messages that we receive, then we change our lives. But there's, I think there's a reason a lot of people pass away from this disease or from this, from alcoholism or this illness is because uh, they disregard the message that are coming from God and decide to go with their alcoholism or their egos. Yeah, that's a difficult thing. I'm sure you've seen uh, a lot of cases, a lot of really hard cases, especially in your line of work. Yes. Um, you know, it's difficult when someone just can't get the solution. How do you think God talks to us? Hmm. Well, definitely through people, uh, also through meditation. Uh, I believe that um, through experiences, through scenarios, through outcomes, through results, you know, um, the, it's funny that... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's funny in AA. A lot of people say um, there are we're not we're in, we're not in the results business. We leave that up to God, and truly, like it, it always is going to be left up to God. It's always in God's hands. But but actually, we are in the results business. The twelve steps has as a result of these steps, right? That's a result, right? So we are in the results business. But truly, like I, th- I believe God, um, it's it, on a daily basis. I see God in everything. You know, I see God in in nature. I see God in um, and it, definitely in, in, in conversations with certain people, um, I was having a, a friend of mine that came on my podcast yesterday. Afterwards, we were having this conversation about God and about the program and about vulnerability. And, and just like within that stuff, like I felt God's spirit had, had brought two former addict alcoholics together to be able to share their beliefs and their, their thought processes. And I believe that that's, that's all of God's doing all the time. That's powerful. You mentioned your podcast. I want to make sure we, we're going to include a link to the podcast in the show notes, but go ahead and uh, tell folks what that podcast is and, and what it's about. Okay. So the podcast is called Peggy's Recovery Corner. Pej, my, my name is Pejman. I also go by Pej, but like uh, some of my friends call me Peggy. And so, you know, it, it's a recovery podcast solely based around all things recovery. And that means uh, recovery from many things, not just uh, alcoholism or drug addiction, but pornography, uh, <laughs> you know. And then we, we also talk about um, recovery or lack thereof, because there's a lot of people that feel that they are in recovery because they may be on Suboxone maintenance. So we like to bring people in and see what their version of recovery is and hear from them or or many different things, but um, but it's we, we usually uh, film and record on Tuesdays at noon PST, and then on the weekends too. Um, you've been on there, yeah. Lee's been on there, yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of fun on there. So, Pej, you've obviously got a great deal of experience in recovery with the steps with the program. What advice might you have for a newcomer, and maybe even think about it in the context of like what you would tell a younger version of you? What I would tell a younger version of me or somebody who is younger than me uh, is that first and foremost, never give up, know that there's hope, know that there's help, know that the help exists. It's about finding the guidance to getting to the help. 
Um, I, for a long time, did not think that, you know, I thought I was beyond human aid. I, I really was hopeful. I had, I knew that I was ambitious because uh, I was raised to be and that I could do a lot of things. And that my mother used to tell me that I was talented and why am I doing this to myself? But that frothy emotional appeal that seldom sufficed would, would like, I, I needed to, to get that message of depth and weight in order for me to, to uh, hear it from somebody else and give me that hope to change my life and, and, uh, and reach for the stars. And that's exactly what I did is when I actually, I did the thing that I really, really um, feared the most was to raise my hand and ask for help. I would tell the younger version of myself much sooner, ask for help now. It's okay. You don't have to hold on to anything. Um, there's help out there. I want to thank you, Pesh, for joining me today and, and doing exactly what the reflection was talking about, sharing the message. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap? I think we're good. Great. Well, thanks once again. It's great to see you. Good to see you too. Thanks, Mike. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.